Amen, indeed. Well, good morning. All right, so before I jump into the message, I just want to thank Emily and the team. They are amazing. Totally great. Ryan Brasington, our fearless leader, has taken this week off for good reason. After last week, it was a lot. And, uh, and you know, it's amazing how God has just blessed us with incredible, amazing, talented people who can just step right in. I think that's a testament to God's goodness to us and a testament to Ryan's leadership of the team. So really, really thrilled uh, for him to take a break and for us to experience, uh, even on greater measure, the gifts of, of people like Emily. So really good. Well, if you've been around Rio at all, at least for the last five, ten years, you know that probably about every three years we gather up a group of people from this church and we all get on an airplane and then we fly to Israel and to Palestine and we tour the land of the Bible. And it is awesome to do that. One of the places that we go every single time, it's about three-fourths of the first day of touring through, is Mount Carmel. And you get in this air-conditioned bus, you don't have to hike up Mount Carmel, so that's good news, right? And you take the bus up, and you can drink cold water. We got that in the bus, and it's really air-conditioned, and it's beautiful. And you get all the way to the top of Mount Carmel, and there's a monastery on the top of Mount Carmel. And then on the roof of the monastery, there's an observation deck, and it's amazing. So you go up onto the observation deck, and Mount Carmel is located like in the northwest part of Israel. It's close to the Mediterranean Sea. When you look to the west, if it's clear, you can see the sea. If you look to the east, the whole Jezreel Valley lays out before you. In fact, I've got a picture of my daughter Morgan and I. Uh, We were there in November of 2019. I don't know if you can see that. But that's looking east. And so one of the things we do is we get up there, and I can't really do it with the picture, but we pull the whole group up to the railing of the observation deck, and we go, okay, so straight east, that's Nazareth. It's kind of cool. Like, that's where Jesus grew up. And then we go later to Nazareth, and we go up onto this peak in Nazareth, and you realize that this valley was what Jesus would see every day from his vantage point, just from the other side. We're like, okay, so a little to the right of Nazareth, that that slope, that rounded mountain, that's Mount Tabor. Okay, a little to the right of that, that's Mount Mora. Okay, a little to the right of that, that's Mount Gilboa. And we have the opportunity to just sort of orient you to at least this part of the land from a high place, which is awesome, but it's not the reason we go there. We go there because the story that we're going to look at today took place there. And it is the most significant story in the life of Elijah. And it's one of the more significant stories in the whole of the Old Testament, that part of the Bible written before the birth of Jesus, which is kind of a big statement. It's an amazing, incredible story. And here's what it does. It calls us to make a choice. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in a meeting where they use Robert's Rules of Order. Do you know anybody do that? Like, I, I've done that like probably a thousand times. And they are helpful rules, by the way. I don't want you to hear me say that I'm critical of the rules. I will say that they're not like real warm and engaging. It's all Mr. Moderator this and Point of Order that, and that's just not my personality. But I'll tell you, the way that a motion is made, the motion is made... I'm now the moderator. Can I get a second? I get a second. Okay, we're going to have conversation. We're going to have a discussion about the motion because we're going to vote up or down on this. Like, we're going to have to make a decision. And then what typically happens is this conversation is is occurring. This whole discussion about the motion happens. This is why we should do it. This is why we shouldn't do it. And everybody has the opportunity to speak into it, sometimes about 48 times. And so finally, at some point, in some occasions, some merciful soul will raise their hand and go, I call the question. What does that mean? It means, guys, there's just nothing left to say. Like, all of the information we need, we've got, and we just need to vote on this thing. What does this story do? It's 
steps into our lives and it calls the question. Graciously, in love. Elijah loves the people of God. And in love, he comes to them, I think, with tears. And he says, guys, you've seen all you need to see. You've heard all you need to hear. Is it going to be the true and the living God for you, or is it going to be some other God? Some other God that leads to death. See, one of the things the Bible teaches us is that every God other than the true and the living God is a dead God. And the other thing it teaches us is that worshiping dead gods bring death, at least eventually. Like, you might be on a high for the moment, but where's it going? It's a fair question, isn't it? I mean, just think about a road, for example, and your life as being like a road. I mean, every road has an end, and you know where it ends. I mean, even if it's I-95, you know, like it ends in, I don't know, Canada or something. Ends down in Miami, right? That's the closer one. What road are you on? Whatever you're worshiping determines it. And you don't typically need to be a prophet to know where it's going to end. You just denial. I'm living in denial and where it's going to end. I'm living in denial and where it's going to end. I know where it's going to end, but I'm enjoying myself right now. And I'm gonna... The Bible comes to you graciously. In love, your father pleads with you through men like Elijah and stories like this. And he's like, hey, death, life. There are your choices. Me, or some dead God that leads to death. So if you were with us last week, you know that in our study of the book of 1 Kings that we're making our way through, we began our study of the life of the prophet Elijah. You know that his, his ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel. You know that it took place during the time of the evil, awful king Ahab and his even more evil and awful wife Jezebel. And you know that Ahab and Jezebel took the whole of the nation of Israel, this northern kingdom, and they said, we're going to forsake the true and the living God, and we're going to kill his prophets, like put them to death, And we are instead going to import the God of Jezebel's home country of Sidon, which was the cultic center of this God whose name was Baal. And who or what was Baal? Well, he's dead, but he was thought to be the God of the sky. He's the one that brought the rain, okay? He's the one that made the ground green by bringing the water that brought that kind of life out of it. They're like, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And they tear down the altars of the living God and they build an altar to Baal in the midst of the people of God. Think about this. And God says, you know what, enough. So he says to Elijah, look, I want you to go to King Ahab, which had to be exciting, right? Because he's killing people like Elijah. But nevertheless, he's like, I'll protect you. I want you to go to King Ahab. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell him what it is that the worship of dead gods bring. They bring death. You might be on a high now, but this is where it's going. He says, go there and and, and let him know I'm going to give you a taste of that. So Elijah does. He walks in and he effectively says, listen, um, Ahab, O king, O sir. Uh, So here's the deal. Your God, Baal, he's the God of the sky. He's the God of the rain. He's the one that, you know, brings the water that makes the earth come to life. Like, that's his great claim. And that's what you think, isn't it? He's like, yeah. Elijah's like, yeah, you are so wrong about that. And you've led the whole country into wrong thinking on this. So here's what in mercy the true and the living God is going to do. He's going to let you experience what the worship of false gods, dead gods, bring, which is death. 
He says, by the power of God, according to his instructions, I've just turned the faucet of this guy off. And I'm going to go away for a few years, okay? Like, I'm going to be gone for years, and no moisture is coming from the ground, or from the air. No rain, no sun showers, no dew, nothing. Not until I come back and turn it back on. So Elijah drops the mic, you know, he leaves the palace, and then he gets the heck out of town, and he disappears. He goes into hiding for three and a half years until God comes to him and says, okay, so now it's time to go back. I want you to go find King Ahab, which he does, and I want you to tell him I'm going to turn the water back on, which he does, but notice how he does it. It's remarkable. It says in 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 17, that when Ahab saw Elijah, he's come forth. Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now, hang on a second. No. Who's troubled Israel? Well, according to Ahab, Elijah has. How? By turning off the water. So at least he's acknowledged he's been able to do that. There's no denying it. And Elijah's like, listen, man, I'm not going to take that laying down, so let let me explain to you what's really happened here. I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because, and here's why, you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you've followed the Baals. And by the way, how's that working out for you? Because it looks pretty brown around here. I mean, I don't know, it's probably green for a few weeks, maybe a month, a couple of months. Then it started getting a little dicey, don't you think? I mean, a couple of months, our lawns go brown. You know, we've got sprinklers. How's it working out for you? I think that's a fair question. You know, I mean, I think that if we reject the true and the living God, we're like, no, 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 I'm going to live in truth for other gods. I might say that I'm living for this God, but I'm actually living for this God. Again, you've got to kind of look at it and go, all right, so in the end result is what? Oh, and where's it going? The road ends Where? Because the Bible is going, listen, before you get there, let me help you, because I don't want this to happen to you. It ends in death, and I'm the God of life. So what has God done in this story? He has brought death so that out of it he can bring life. He wants to bring this people back to him. Ahab says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And and Elijah's like, no, 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 it's not me, it's you. And then Elijah takes over. It's awesome. Ahab's the king. Yeah, and title only at this point. Elijah just gives the commands. He's like, now therefore, he's telling the king what to do. Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and be sure to bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, the God who was thought to be the wife of Baal, who eat dinner at Jezebel's table with you every single night. They host these people for dinner every night. And you know what? They all show up because they've all realized, including the king, that he's shut it off. And that until he turns it on, nothing. No water. Therefore, no life. And these people are desperate. Like they have watched all their crops die. They've watched some of their animals, if not all of them, die. They've watched people starve to death. They may be starving themselves at this point. Where does Elijah want us to? He wants us to be the great. Does he want us to stand on our head? We'll do that too. Do you want to dance around? Like anything you want us to do, we're going to do. Just please turn the water on. That's the idea. So they all gather at Mount Carmel. And then we read in verse 21 that Elijah came near to all the people and he calls the question. He said, how long will you go limping or hobbling around between two different opinions? For as Jesus will say much later on, Look, you can't serve two masters. It just it doesn't work. I mean, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot 
serve two masters because they demand different things from you and now you've got to choose. It doesn't work. And here's what it causes you to do. Limp around through life. Like it's disabling. He's like, look, I don't want you to limp around. I want you to run. But this is disabling to you guys. So what are you going to do? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? He says, look, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, oh, good grief, then follow him. But don't try to do both and notice the reaction of these people and try to imagine how insulting this is from God's perspective. It says, and the people, meaning the people of Israel. Now replay a little bit of their history and you'll get the insult. The people of Israel that God has called out of slavery in Egypt. The people of Israel that God fed miraculously in the wilderness with bread and with water and with quail and all of these things. The people of Israel to whom God gave his law, with whom he made a covenant, into whom he constituted a nation. The people of Israel that he went before and gave an entire land to. The people of Israel that he's come through faithfully again and again and again and again for. What exactly has Baal done for them? Brought death. It's three and a half years of death and running. And these people are like, well, when you give us the choice, I don't know. Not so sure. It says the people did not answer him a word. Oh my. Try to enter into that. That's like if your spouse with whom you've made a marriage covenant, with whom... You've built a life and a family. You've purchased property and stuff like you've sacrificed and been through all of this stuff with and for. It's like if they run off and they have an affair and then when confronted with the affair and the choice between you with whom they have all of this and this person with whom they have virtually nothing at all, they're like, yeah, you know, I think I need to think about this. Can you feel that? Some of you have felt that. Maybe the gift of this story to you today is if you have felt that, God has felt that. He knows what that's like. In fact, it's worse in his case because he's perfect. I'm not. You're not. He is. He's like, what charge will you bring against me? Like, go ahead. No, seriously, take your time. There's nothing. And you may be the person who has brought that kind of pain. That's hard too. And maybe this story's gift to you is that what is God doing with his people who are so adulterous in this story? He is bending over backwards in love to bring them back to himself. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is life on the other side of these kinds of things, but not in gods who are dead. You just get a drought there. There's forgiveness in life. There's grace on the other side. And the God who calls you back to himself, which is what he's doing with these guys. Elijah's like, okay, so here's the deal. Call in the question. All right, you got to choose. God or, I mean, come on, Baal, they're like, I don't know. He's like, really? Nothing? Okay, fine. Little contest then. Let me show you the difference between these gods. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. Now, he's not saying he's the only prophet alive. He knows there are at least a hundred other prophets in hiding from Jezebel and Ahab because 
again, they're killing the prophets of God. But he's saying, look around. All Israel is here. I am the only prophet of Yahweh God. The one. But those guys, well, there's 450 of them. He says, I am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Do you see the contrast? Because he wants you to. And so he says, all right, let's do this. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood of an altar that all 450 of them build and then put no fire to it. And then after that, little me, myself, and I will prepare the other bull. I'll lay it on the wood of an altar that I build. And I'll put no fire to it. And then all 450 of you prophets of Baal call upon the name of your God. And then me, myself, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire from the sky, he is God. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It particularly sounds reasonable when, again, you remember that Baal is the God of the sky. I mean, if you go home today and you Google pictures of Baal, you know, you're going to find all these little graven images of Baal. And, and a lot of them, he has a lightning bolt in his hand and a club in the other. He brings the lightning, he makes the thunder. So like if there is a God, assuming that he exists, like that, I mean, clearly he's the one that can strike this thing with lightning from the sky. All of his prophets asking him to do so in a moment in which he can vanquish the true and the living God. So the people who know all of this stuff are like, you know what, that is a very reasonable uh, deal. We like the contest. It is well-spoken. And so the prophets of Baal spring into action, you know, all 450 of them, and they build their altar, and they put the wood on the altar, and they take the bowl, and they prepare it just so, and they put it on the altar. And then at 9 o'clock in the morning, they begin to go around the altar. It says they limped around the altar. So there's that word again. Why? What is the narrator saying? He's going, guys, not only is it disabling to try to serve this God and and this God, it's disabling to serve any dead God. They're disabled, these guys. They're going around, limping around the altar, crying out to Baal. Oh, man. And everything is on the line for them, and they realize it. Because worshiping a dead God brings death, and they know that's how this is going to end, either for Elijah or for all of them. And the reason for that is because this isn't just a contest between the true and the living God and Baal. It's a contest between Elijah, the prophet of the true and the living God, and all 450 of the prophets of Baal, none of which were probably in the good graces of the people at this point. Think about it. These are the guys who are supposed to get Baal to make it rain, and we're three and a half years no rain. These guys ate dinner at the king's table every night. It was awesome before the drought. How awesome was it Three months in, six months in, three years in. Oh, man, I would have been coming up with every possible excuse to miss the dinner. Like, I'd be bringing doctor's notes, you know, King, I'm sorry I missed it, but I had a cold or whatever, you know. Like, I mean, he had to be laying into these guys. I built an altar for you. I feed you every night. I can, you know, and I am watching my country be destroyed in death. It's your job to make this God bring the rain, get back to work. I'm thinking about a year in, these guys needed an armed escort to the temple. Because it went beyond derision at some point. It went beyond, my kids are laughing at you, you guys are ridiculous, look at the clowns, they're going to work, they have no power. To I'm throwing stones at you because my children are starving. Not a good three years for these guys. 
And now what has Elijah done? I mean, he's called everyone in Israel to Mount Carmel. He's got all 450 of these guys, no doctor's notes accepted for this, up there on the mountain. And he is asking these guys who have been praying around the clock for three and a half years for Baal to just bring a sun shower for crying out loud, to drop fire from heaven. How confident do you think they were in this moment? I think they are freaking out. You know what they don't do? Repent. It's like, man, I have driven my car all the way to the end of the street. It ends in a cliff. And I'm too prideful to stop. I'm too stubborn to just pull over. I don't have it in me for whatever. Like, I'm so invested in this that I can't just go you know what, maybe our God doesn't exist. Like, maybe, in fact, he is dead. Like, guys, we've been trying this for three and a half years. Oh, king, perhaps we've led the whole nation in the wrong direction. You know what, I don't know where the hundred hidden prophets are, but I'm going to go find them and see if they'll take me in. I don't know how it is that we get glued to the steering wheel. But I think that's what this story is about. Like Elijah's going, hey, let me call the question. Like I just pull over on the side of the road. You know, let's pry your fingers from the wheel. You know, let me get you out of the car. It's going off a cliff. So at noon, about three hours into all of this, Elijah begins to trash talk these guys, and he's good. He's really good. Verse 27, it says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he's a god. You know, so I'm going to say, have hearing problems? Like, what's wrong with him? It's all sarcasm. He says, either he is musing or, my personal favorite, he's relieving himself. That's awesome. He's like, he's in the can. He has his phone. He's reading ESPN. I mean, shout louder. What's going on? Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. He's saying, guys, turn the volume up. And, and they listen to him. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Start shouting louder. And more than that, it says they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the, blush, or the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on and on until the time of the offering of the oblation. So like 3 p.m., But even after six hours of this, please take this in. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. What is the Bible doing? It's coming to us in grace and going, true in the living God, not true, not living gods. No voice. No one answers. Nobody's minding the shop, man. Like, no one is paying attention. And what does their idolatry therefore then do for them? Well, it leaves them bloodied. It leaves them hoarse. They've been shouting for three hours. It leaves them exhausted. It leaves them defeated. And it leaves them, I think, thinking something like this. My God, my God, O Baal, why have you forsaken me? Unto death is where the street ends. And then it says in verse 30 that Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. He wants them to see how he does this so that there's no trickery, okay? 
Observe what I'm about to do. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And then he put wood on the altar. And then he prepared the bowl. And he put the bowl on the altar. And then, super cool, he dug a trench all the way around the altar. And then he said, hey, hey, you guys, I want you to bring a bunch of water. How precious was water in this moment? I want you to bring a bunch of water and three times I want you to so douse this thing that the water will run over the bull, over the wool, over the wood, over the rocks and fill up the trench. And then he prays from like way over here. He's like, back up. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word like you have guided my every move and all I've done is what you've said. And now answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have done all of this. You've brought all of this death so that out of it you can bring life. How? You've turned their hearts back to you through all of this. And with Elijah, unlike these other guys, guys, there's no shouting, there's no cutting, there's no limping, and there is no waiting. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, even the earth. It licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all those people saw that, they were no longer undecided. Instead... They said, oh, we got the message. They fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, yes, he is. Now, those guys are going to go over the cliff. They didn't pull over. They didn't stop. They didn't repent. They didn't turn. And then Elijah calls the king over, you know, like a little errand boy. Hey, yeah, come on over. Come on over. So I got, got more for you. I'm going to pray, and it's going to rain, and it's not going to be a sun shower. Like, it's, like you're going to get stuck in the mud if you don't get out of here. So get in your chariot and scoot on home, little boy. And he does. And then Elijah kneels down on the top of that mountain. He puts his face between his knees in humility before the Lord. And seven times he prays for rain. And seven times he sends his servant to go look for a cloud coming up off the Mediterranean where the storms come from. And you can see it from Mount Carmel. He's like, do you see a cloud? They're like, no. He's like, how about now? No, 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 no. Yes. And he said, that's it. And this little cloud grew and spread and blackened the sky and then brought the water of life. It's remarkable. It's an amazing story. Guys, Elijah, and for that matter, Jesus, calls us to make a choice. You know, like they they step in with a heart of care, of concern, of love. Not trying to bully anybody into anything. They're like, no, please, because I love you. I'm calling the question. I mean, are you going to put your faith and trust in in a dead God that leads you to death or in a God who sent his son into the world to die that you might have life? I call the question. And maybe you're brand new to this whole conversation and you're like, listen, you know, I haven't been around the block 34 times on this decision. That's what Alpha is for. I want to invite you into Alpha this Thursday night, 7.30. All the information's online. 
It's on our app. It's on our website. Go and be a part of that conversation. You don't even have to leave your couch. It's beautiful. And you can enter into that conversation. You can share what your thoughts are, what your concerns are. You can grow together with a group of people who get to the end every time and they're like, oh man, do we have to stop because we like each other. But please know that Jesus ascended a mountain only to be bloodied, only to be made hoarse. You're like, what does that mean? Do you know how you die of crucifixion? The nails don't touch any of the vital organs, so it leaves you alive for a long time. You die when you no longer have the strength to push off your feet and to pull up with your arms to relieve the pressure on your diaphragm so you can take a decent breath of air. So you're gasping the whole time until you no longer have strength, and then you suffocate to death. Bloodied. Hoarse. Exhausted. Disabled. He can't even limp. He's, he's pinned in place. Defeated. Forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me to this? And then he dies. And just like the prophets of Baal, he was mocked as he poured out his blood as a sacrifice to his God. It's a little weird to compare him to the prophets of Baal, isn't it? Like it's kind of like, well, is that okay? Maybe lightning's going to hit you, you know? I think it's perfectly appropriate, and the reason for that is because the Bible comes to us and it tells us that on that cross, Jesus bore all of our idolatry, all of our failures, all of our faithlessness, all of the ways that we have worshipped other things and other people, even including our own selves, dying things and dying people. Jesus, it says, became a curse for you. I mean, I know this story with Elijah is impressive, but there is nothing more impressive than the Son of God who hangs on a tree, innocent for the guilty, for me and for you. So, I call the question, what is your choice? Is it the gods of this world that lead to death or or God who sent his son to die? that you might have life. It was interesting. Last week on Easter, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's been coming to this church for eight years. He's here early for the nine o'clock service. And sorry, but that appeals to all my Dutch sensibilities. If you're early, like you, you get an extra hug and I've had the vaccine. So it's all good at this point. Okay. Just know that if you're sniffling, I still won't do it. So just know that. But really like he comes early. We talk every week and it's awesome. And he's an amazing guy. He came up to me last Sunday and he's like, Tom on Monday, Thursday. So the Thursday before last Sunday, he said, I got saved. He said, I'm talking with somebody in my office. And they said, are you a Christian? And he said, well, yeah, you know, I've been going to this Christian church for eight years. I'm like, no, no, no. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And he said, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I have. And they said, well, do you want to? He said, yeah, I do. And he did. Like, I had two reactions to that. One was, I'm overjoyed for my friend. Like, that's what I want to see happen to everyone. The other reaction was, oh, good grief, who else? Like, he just needed somebody to go, I'm calling the question. Nicely, you know, graciously, not a lot of pressure, just kind of like, well, do you want to? So I say that to you today. You know, you might be here eight weeks, I don't know, eight months, eight years, 18 years. 
God's coming to you for your good, and he's saying, look, with a pleading heart of love, I gave my son for you. The innocent one suffered and died that your guilt might be completely covered in his perfect blood. And I might fill you with my spirit and welcome you into my family like I did this for you. Do you want to? So at the end of this service, I'm going to be right down here. Uh, Beth, my wife, will be down here. We've got some other people. They'll be down here. If you're online and you're watching, it's going to be hard for you to come down here. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. And I want you to connect with us. And I'll talk about that at the end. And let us know so we can rejoice. I think what my friend was doing and telling me and everybody else he could find that he had gotten saved is the natural expression of a living being, spiritually speaking. In other words, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're not embarrassed. You're like, oh my goodness, this is life. (laughs) And I want you to have it and you to have it. And I'd like even you to have it. I'd like you guys to have it. Like I... I'm going to tell you about it because that's, that's what happens next. It's the organic expression of that kind of life. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing about our king. And I'll get up and I'll give a good word, a benediction. And then right down here, love to pray with you after the service. Let's do that. Father, we come to you. And we are grateful that we have a far greater than Elijah on our side. My goodness, Elijah calls fire down from heaven. Jesus comes down from heaven. It's better. (laughs) It's so much better. Lord, we praise you for your love for people who are adulterous. That's all of us. For those of us who have just stubbornly clung and pridefully clung to other gods, Lord, you love us. God, call the question in our own hearts and minds. Bring us to the realization that we can pull over on the side of the road, get out. And be brought to faith in Jesus and begin to do life with you. Lord, we are broken people, we confess it. We are selfish people, we confess it. We are foolish people, we demonstrate it. We have failed and we are flawed for all of the good that we've done. Even so much of that has been driven by ego. Look at me. We've done so much to rob you of the life that you have given to us to be used in your service. And we can't go back and fix it, but we can claim the value of the, of the infinitely valuable one who in love came, who in love died to pay that debt that we owe to you. We claim his payment of our debt And Lord, you raised him from the dead, which means payment is accepted. So God, go to work in our hearts as we listen to this song, as we sing along, as we we move. Speak, Lord, we, we sang about wanting to hear your voice. So let us hear your voice and then do what it says. We praise you in Jesus' name.